All right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined actually for the first time by the entirety of the Then Now Whatever podcast. We've got Duncan and Kyle. How's things? Hello, Hi, we're doing good, thanks. Uh, it's a big day. <laughs> it's monumentous. I probably should have asked you one at a time before you're both stepping on each other's toes there. That's proof that I've never had two guests on at the same time. <laughs> so we'll start with Kyle then, since this is um, the first time I think you've been on the podcast, Kyle. How's things, Kyle? Uh, yeah, this is my debut on the uh, on the podcast. Um, I'm doing good, thanks. It's um, still quite strange adapting to um, working from home and all that sort of stuff, but... Um, I'm getting there, and uh, it's quite nice doing a podcast through, you know, the, the way that we're doing uh, the podcast now. Well, I actually always do them this way, so no different for me, <laughs> but you guys can yeah. look up and have it a bit more personal. What about yourself, yeah. Duncan? How's things going with you? I'm not so bad. I just tried this morning to download that King of Fighters app that's got all the WWE content on it, but it just kept on crashing every time I try to download the data, so I'm fairly annoyed about that. I'm going to have to live vicariously through all the people posting really funny screenshots of it now. Uh, Fair, fair. I've actually been sent back to work, so no time for any extracurricular activities now. Back to normal for me. Ah, right. Yeah, lockdown is is being eased away over here now, thankfully. We've had um, very, very few cases in the last couple of weeks in Australia. I think something like three in the whole country and none anywhere near me. So things are touch wood going back to normal. Hopefully you guys are not too far behind. Well, we've got a handy Nando's scale to help us figure out how bad the virus <laughs> level is here. Yeah. <laughs> <Do tell. laughs> we're, uh, we're on the verge of becoming a free if all of the social distancing thing works out for the next two weeks or so. And then from June 1st, some things are going to start opening up again and things are going to be phased in. Uh, I take it... Um someone with rather bland taste buds rated that scale because i'm assuming the extra hot's the worst (laughs) (laughs) i think so (laughs) so anyway we should probably tell everyone what we're here to do today so we've got a new timeline starting duncan and myself are going to be having a look at smackdown and thunder going head to head but this week in particular um we've decided to all get together because you guys over on then now whatever podcast are doing a series of is it called tape trader series it's the tape trader diaries so we're looking at shows that we recorded from the telly for ourselves or for friends um and kyle um, we're, since we're looking at the first proper episode of Smackdown, you actually recorded this yourself, didn't you? I did, yeah. Um, it was quite exciting to um, to see that they were coming out with um, a brand new show, so it, it was kind of one of those special moments of, right, I don't want to miss this, let's get it recorded. And did you know that this was going to be a permanent thing and stuff? Uh, no, not at the time. I, You know, it, it kind of you know they they did their um, little tester back in april and then um you kind of thought right is this another tester but obviously with with the success of it it's still here today it's i actually got a copy of this tape myself too so yeah <laughs> well smackdown's in the dictionary is it yeah yeah it's in um miriam webster dictionary 
<laughs> Fair enough. I was just saying, I actually got a copy of this SmackDown as well. I'm not sure how and when um, on this one in particular, but um, a lot of this stuff was well and truly stuck in my memory from all those years ago. So um, this has worked out really well. Oh, yeah, this brings back memories for me because I had the version of the Titantron Live that was the, uh, the SmackDown rings. I oh, loved it. Yeah, it was wonderful. I'm assuming none of us got Thunder on tape. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, my dear. <laughs> no, no spoilers yet, but it looks like WWE barely got it on tape as well. <laughs> Some of the messages that we got, but we'll get to that. Uh-huh. I, I don't think um, we're going to be shocking anyone by saying that one of these shows was a much higher standard than the other. Um, it paid in the ratings as well because <laughs> we're going all the way back. Uh, I probably didn't explain this. We're not looking at the pilot of SmackDown, which um, I think we've already looked at in the past, Duncan, haven't we, a long time ago. Um, but the first episode proper, uh, August 26, 1999, and SmackDown blew Thunder out of the water. Uh, the ratings were 4.2 to SmackDown and 2.0 for Thunder. It was a landslide. WWE would kill for a 2.0 now. I know, it's sad, isn't it? (laughs) So, I guess we've probably got all the intros and everything out of the way. Which show did you watch first, Kyle? Uh, (laughs) Obviously, SmackDown I I watched first. Um, I'll be honest, it it was quite a struggle getting around to watching Thunder. Um, (laughs) My experiences with WCW haven't been great on the network. (laughs) <laughs> if you um once if I could get you on this show a few more times, you'll learn the valuable lesson about the way we do things here. Is if you know one show shit, watch that one first, because otherwise it'll be months before you record. <laughs> Duly noted. Well, I Duncan, didn't follow did you go that SmackDown? rule. Yeah, I went SmackDown first as well. So. <laughs> well, majority rules. Let's go over to SmackDown and check it out, then, shall we, lads? Let's get yeah. to it. All right, SmackDown opens up with the um, classic WWF, uh, you know, like the introduction, like that just little three or four second clip, but it's got the, um, it's followed up by the classic SmackDown theme song that if you played any of the video games on PlayStation will be etched in your memory for the rest of your life. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. The, the network offered me a skip intro option here, and I'm like, LOL, no chance. <laughs> <laughs> Not a chance in the world. And you wouldn't want to miss the intro, because I'm sure this was the best part of both shows for Kyle, because it highlights the game's first title win. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah. Watch that on repeat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually really liked it. I thought this whole storyline about Triple H becoming a main event it was quite good. So um, this time period's brilliant for me. I don't really sour on Triple H till after he tears the quad, to be perfectly honest. Well, that's lovely to hear. <laughs> and we see that classic oval Titantron set, um, the real-life version of the toy that you had, Duncan. I know, and the big old video wall as well that took up, like, half of the the corner stand there as well just brilliant love this set 
And then the other thing that's quite striking when we open up as well is just thousands of signs. Yeah, I had a big note on that as well. I think for me, we'd already have WCW moving to their like spaceship logo and trying to look a little bit more modern. Smackdown here with this set in particular and the colour scheme and the branding, it really took uh, move WWF forward with their branding a little bit, I think. Yeah, it very cleverly separated Raw and SmackDown into two different identities. The red and the blue is quite striking, so you could definitely tell what where you were and what was happening on any given night now. Mm. You can still tell they were a little bit in the infancy of that, like with the way they craned the um, the boom camera when they're going down the ramp. Like the rampway looks, if you kind of like cut your eyes down, like looking just from the ramp bottom down, it still kind of feels a little bit like Raw but they'll have a few more production things as they go down the road that I think we'll probably see. Definitely. And we've got Jerry Lawler and JR still on commentary here. We've not switched to Taz and Michael Cole yet. Obviously, um, Taz hasn't debuted yet, and Michael Cole's not quite ready for prime time, as we found out earlier in the year while JR was out. And speaking of um, power couples, we've got Triple H and China coming out first. Uh, this is right at the tail end of them being paired up china's not long for the heel world and triple h is about to become the ultimate villain so um i guess this will probably be one of the last times we see them out together any quick thoughts on triple h and china as a pairing how do they how do you think that helped the game on his way to success kyle as the biggest triple h fan on planet earth (laughs) Uh, i think they complemented each other um really well i think they probably wouldn't have been able to get where they were um at that time without each other um, I think China uh, did um, a great role as uh, Triple H's manager, and I think they really pushed each other. Um, and then I think it just naturally, Triple H then had to, moving into the title picture, he had to obviously go go his own way. I think it happened naturally. I don't think there was any um, any kind of forced movement with that. Uh, but yeah, I think they complemented each other really well, you know, um, prior to this and moving moving into this period yeah this pairing really worked so well in kind of all three stages of triple h's career when he was the greenwich snob it kind of illustrated his entitlement that you know he feels he can just get this big bodybuilder to do whatever he wants when he's the degenerate it worked really well because just like China would be the straight man while he was having the crack. And now as we're moving into Triple H being the game, it's clear that they're both like the way they're presented and the way they look, they're proper premier athletes and they really complemented each other well. Yeah. I agree completely. I think that really awesome pairing. Um, it's sad that Triple H obviously goes on to bigger things and China's story is not that great from here, but at, you know, as a pairing, they were amazing on state on screen uh, the whole time, in my opinion. Uh, and speaking of amazing, my time, I love that theme song. I still love it when it comes on. One cell, is this on? Yo, Jimmy, hit me with that triple H. Yeah. 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 
it's great, yeah. isn't it? Unfortunately, then, Triple H does what he does best, and he gets in the middle of the ring, and he tells a big whopper of a lie. He says, normally I've got about two words, but tonight I've got about four. I mean, come on, Triple H, you are not opening any show with four words. <laughs> well, the best part about this is the fans start chanting asshole at him, and King quips, sounds like they got two words for Triple H, and JR corrects him and says, one word, King. <laughs> And just for the record, his four words are line them up, I'll mow them down. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> but the segment gets saved quite quickly when The Rock comes out um, and challenges him for a title match tonight. They have a really good back and forth, which I will insert a little bit of that for everybody to check out right here. And run your mouth about how you're the WWF champion and run your mouth about how you're the game. Well, The Rock says if you are the game, then quite frankly, you need to go back to the drawing board because your game absolutely sucks. (laughs) The Rock's got a little plan in mind. Is that tonight in the middle of that ring, surrounded by the millions of The Rock's fans. The Rock is going to beat your monkey ass, become the WWF champ. What? Rock's making a challenge, it sounds to me like. Or a promise. Sounds like you're making a promise. And there's two things you can do about it. Absolutely nothing and like it. Rock. If you even want to play in this game, you got to be in my league. And listen, you little jabroni. Uh-oh. You are nowhere near my league. So what you can do is you can run your little ass in the back, go back to whatever it is you were doing, and get lost. And as I was watching this, the, the thought that comes into my head, and tell me what you guys think here, is, like, I get the, the whole PG era, but neither The Rock or Triple H in this awesome opening, like, little back and forth said anything that you couldn't say on TV and be rated PG. They just don't cut good promos anymore. Like, this was awesome. I love this. is, like, your number one heel, um, your number one A uh, good guy coming out and just going at it on the mic with the crowd loving every minute of it. What did you guys think? I think people forget SmackDown for the majority of its run, especially starting off on network TV, was rated PG itself. So it wasn't anywhere near as violent or as outlandish as Raw, even though we do get some strange storylines in this episode and we'll probably have a few more to come. But yeah, I mean, I just look to like Ring of Honor's television shows always PG and that brought out some like... uh, pretty unique and different looking wrestling that was like captivating and less homogenized and i think smackdown back then is the same for promos really yeah smackdown was always seen as like the good child compared to its counterpart of raw like raw was always the the naughty program where they kind of pushed the levels a little more whereas smackdown you sort of you you still got them pushing the envelope a little bit, but you know there was a, a, a line that they, they didn't cross that they would maybe have crossed on Raw. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, it just boils down to, you know, good promos, no script writing, no suffer and succotash, son, and just a crowd invested in good characters. So they could definitely do this now. And um, speaking of good characters, we get Shaw Michaels, the commissioner. Um, his commissioner runs not, not really as long as it sticks in my mind. Like it, it's more memorable than it is long. But this was a, one of the most prominent memories I've got of it. He comes out and makes a title match between the two and announces himself as a special guest referee. Um, somehow Shane McMahon ends up in the ring. I didn't see him come out, so I'm not quite sure what happened. He must have gone down the side of the ramp or something. Um, and he says that he's going to be the second referee. Shawn Michaels, however, says, no, you can't. That's my job to make the ref. Um, you're going to be in a match with Mankind. And then out come the Mean Street Posse and Mankind, and they have a bit of a free-for-all brawl. The faces obviously get the upper hand. And we get – this is sort of the first 20 minutes of the show done and dusted with this segment. And before the show started, I'd actually made a cup of coffee to sit down with, and I was so invested in this that I hadn't even touched it and it had gone cold. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the opening 20-minute promo is seen as more of a modern wrestling trope, but it still carried on back then, and – Dare I say it was a lot more engrossing back then. I don't know about you, Kyle. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I was definitely more invested back then uh, with all the promos and stuff that I am now. Speaking of investments, do you hear uh, how much The Rock's wardrobe cost? Is $800 shirt this time? Yes, an $800 short, uh, shirt, or as I put it, um, three quarters of a themed Bray Wyatt custom championship belt. <laughs> and then and do you know what shoot? he does with go on do you know what he does with all those shirts when he's finished with them <laughs> do tell gives them to jerry lawler and they become his outfit on raw five years <laughs> down the line <laughs> in the king's book he said when the rocket only ever wear the shirt once on tv so he'd ask him what he was doing with them and he ended up with them all <laughs> oh my god what a grifter <laughs> <laughs> proper wrestler that <laughs> then the rock shoe costs six hundred dollars which is only half a themed custom championship belt <laughs> i cannot imagine anybody bought that bloody belt i i've got a lot of belts like i'm a i love the old school belts and i've got them all hung up in my garage there's no way in the world i would touch that for half the price <laughs> it's really like a belt does it and it he never just wore it no, it just looks like the thing got run over one time. And, and <laughs> <laughs> what's oh, the thing? They taxidermied him for preservation. <laughs> yeah, it's proper awful. Um, not good at all. <laughs> also, not good at all. Shawn Michaels' outfit. Did you see he was in his wrestling school shirt? Yes, yes. He's uh, getting some free plugs on the air here. Hmm. Now, it can't all be main event stuff, so from here we go back down a notch into the, the next match. Uh, sorry, the first match, actually. And it's Jeff Jarrett. At this stage in his career, he's got the cat, or Miss Kitty, and Deborah as his valets, and he's the Intercontinental Champion, but he's not defending the belt. It is non-title against badass Billy Gunn. Jarrett gets a jump early on, uh, but Billy Gunn comes back with a drop kick and a power slam for a near fall. Jarrett hits a second rope arm breaker, which is actually very cool. A bit of an early SmackDown video game move there that you didn't see very often. They brawl to the outside, and China comes out for a look. Um, but they grab the guitar off the cat, swing, and a miss. We hit Deborah. This allows Billy Gunn to roll up the shock Jeff Jarrett for the one, two, three. China gets in the ring and gets in his face. Billy Gunn moons her, and China hits him with the low blow. Um, 
pretty well deserved, I would say. If you pulled your pants down and stuck your ass in my face, you might get something similar. <laughs> Did you enjoy this one, Dunk? <laughs> I thought there was decent athleticism, but it was too short to mean anything. This was all angle. This kind of came about the previous Raw. So Jeff Jarrett left an open contract on his door for a title shot. And China signed it before Mr. Ass could get to it. So Mr. Ass was all kind of pissed off. And um, Jeff Jarrett hit her with the guitar from behind. And then Mr. Ass hit Jeff Jarrett with the guitar from behind. So it's, it's like the circle of life kind of thing. It's kind what of weird. Oh, sorry. Uh, sorry, carry on. And then I said the wrong person anyway. <laughs> it's kind of weird how Mr. Ass had just lost the kiss your ass match to The Rock. And now they seem to think, you know what? This is a perfect time to turn in babyface. Yes. Are they or are they turn China baby face here though? Like I, I, I know China does turn face here, but I couldn't quite get a feel for what this was supposed to achieve, to be honest. They're kind of both going there. I think we'll we'll see a little more of Billy's future direction later on, um, in our timeline. But I, I mean, like if we're supposed to be compelled by him wrestling Jeff Jarrett, who is blatantly not going to be a face at any time soon with his current gimmick. Like, you know, who are you supposed to cheer in this situation? Absolutely. What do you think of this one, Kyle? Um, yeah, I'm similar to, to Duncan with, like, how short it was um, to really get a hold on it. Um, my big take from, from this was, you know, um, the kind of my push to see Billy Gunn go babyface. Because, um, like um, we've just said, there's no way that, um, Jeff in his current situation um, would have been the baby face so it sort of puts Billy Gunn in the spotlight a little bit and I, I've always liked Billy Gunn anyway so it's nice to see um, see him get pushed into that baby face role and, and as you, you two will probably cover you know it, it kind of gets a little bigger Absolutely I'm a, I'll join you on that being a Billy Gunn fan. We then get a series of different little backstage things going on. First we've got Lillian interviewing Al Snow. He wants Pepper back. Um, <laughs> if you've not heard of this storyline, stay strapped in because it's <laughs> heading to a dark place. Um, we then see Howard Finkel shining Chris Jericho's boots. <laughs> we go to a commercial. And when we come back, we see Test waiting for Stephanie. He is awaiting her arrival because she's not answered his marriage proposal from Monday Night Raw. And if I'm Test, I'm pretty pissed off that I'm waiting three days and <laughs> I'm waiting for a live TV show for her to come back and answer. But um, that's just me. Any... Um, take out moments from any of these segments here guys see this is just steph being a promoter like this is promotion 101 you save it for <laughs> you save it for the live tv for your debut for your season premiere this is a uh, pure mcmahon jeans kicking in here um i'm i'm dreading this al snow storyline here <laughs> yeah there's some goodness to come from that one um <laughs> from there we go to our next match and speaking of um storylines i'm this is one i was a really big fan of these little tag team title storyline that we're in the middle of at the moment it's kane and x park challenging uh undertaker and big show and the acolytes are in there as well it's a three-way for the tag team titles and i just love this x park and kane tagging up um, and The Undertaker and Big Show tagging up as well. Like, I just have really fun memories of this from a kid. Um, what did you guys uh, 
Matt, remember from this? Did you guys watch much of this back in the day? Have you, do you remember this storyline at all? Yeah, I, I um, quite quite fond memories of, of stuff like this. It was quite strange because this was sort of the point where I kind of um, realised that you didn't have to just be a traditional tag team. Um, you know, you got Kane and X-Pac, you got Undertaker and Big Show. They weren't necessarily the teams that you would put together. So at this point, I was kind of like, ah, you know, these, these dream tag teams that you could think of was like, oh, you know, this could actually happen. So at this time, it kind of the creative juices started to go of, you know, what other tag teams could potentially get put together. I wasn't following WWF until 2000, and by then we hit the Tombstone Tory, get that Jezebel part of the X-Packet Kane storyline. So it's kind of weird to see them together here and to hear Kane's intro cut into the DX theme. <laughs> was oh, that? That, double pro- that double pyro, though. How good was it? Oh, yeah, that was pretty slick. They'd always show that in the, in the video packages for the feud. But speaking of the themes as well... Does anyone notice how much APA's theme really sounded like Demolition's theme? I didn't pick up on that. I'll have to go back and have another listen. It's it's, it's the same kind of melody, but just like really slowed down. And also, while we're staying on the subject of themes, I find Big Show and Undertaker's tag theme hilarious. Is that just like the the like it was like the last Undertaker theme before he, he left, wasn't it? Yeah, this is like the the dredges of the Ministry of Darkness gimmick, but they're going for like grandiose and intimidating, and it just sounds like you know that bit in Family Guy where Stewie follows uh, larger people around with a tuba. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you. you the Undertaker's, um, like, obviously he, he was needing a break here, but his presentation in the last sort of few months of his character was pretty poor. Like, I didn't mind this whole storyline with Big Show, but he stopped wearing any sort of entrance get-up. The lights weren't going out during his entrance. It was just an injured guy walking to the ring with a big guy. Yeah, he, he didn't look into it, really. But other than that, I was, I was quite into this tag scene that they got here because it's it's basically the three most recent tag team champions like they were recapping x-pac and kane took the belts from the apa and then show and taker took the belts from x-pac and kane and so it, it just felt, felt like a nice way to keep everyone in the mix really absolutely when the match gets started though it is a little bit weird we have undertaker goes to the commentary table and basically tells the, the commentators that big show can fend for himself and this is part of his learning but weirdly it's one of those triple threat tag matches where there's three guys in the ring at once um didn't love that part of it and it breaks down pretty quickly as well we end up just in a five-man brawl big show of course with no partner gets dumped out the ring undertaker gives him a slap for good measure sends him back in to kill and that he does. We see a double clothesline, a top rope clothesline from Kane. Um, he choke slams both of the APA, but Show makes a save. X Pac comes in and he eats a choke slam for the one, two, three. Uh, Big Show with a pretty dominant display going in and cleaning house and taking care of business. It was only short this, but I, I still didn't mind it. What did you guys think? Yeah, it, it was it was okay. It was just a bit clunky at times. Um, I found. 
I really love this. I thought this was such good fun. And the I actually liked all the interruption spots that they had. There was this really cool bit where Big Show goes to powerbomb X-Pac and then he gets shot blocked down by the Acolytes. And um, then Bradshaw kicks X-Pac from off of Big Show's shoulders. So I thought, like, other than Taker just being sat at the desk talking about tough love, they kept everyone involved really well. And how hot were the crowd for this? Did you hear them pop for Kane's clothesline? Yeah. Absolutely. I know the um, we're, we're going to enter pretty soon, the enter the era of the Hardys, Dudleys, Edge and Christian, but this era of tag team wrestling is actually really underrated. There was a lot of hot angles and big-name players in the mix here. Mm, it looks that way, yeah. Like I said, I really enjoyed this. We then go backstage and Stephanie McMahon, or yes, Stephanie McMahon, of course, I've got it right, um, is arriving and she has an answer for Tess. She doesn't give it to him though. She just walks off. So we assume she's going to come to the ring with it. And then... tease. (laughs) (laughs) And then Big Boss Man is out, comes out and he wants to call out Al Snow. He basically offers a deal, I'll give you your dog back for a shot at the hardcore title, which seems pretty fair. Al Snow probably would have just given him one if he'd asked anyway. <laughs> we go to a commercial and then Al comes out with the belt. Um, the boss man brings out Pepper and he gives it to the king to watch. And did you guys catch what happened when Jerry Lawler took the dog? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you shouldn't use live animals in wrestling. It immediately pisses on Jerry Lawler. <laughs> This this is my dick move of the night by quite some margin. That poor dog looked so distressed. Like, yeah. I, I don't think anybody checked in with the Humane Society or anything here. The only bit I enjoyed about the dog's involvement was Boss Man threatening to show him what hard times is all about. <laughs> the the oh, most man. ridiculous bit of that was, was coming down the ramp you know, making sure the dog doesn't escape having his arm around the dog. You're like, <laughs> the size of that dog and the size of Bossman. I hardly think that, that dog's going to escape. I know, he was holding the nightstick to his throat and stuff. I'm like, what are you doing? The dog is about as big as the nightstick. <laughs> oh, man, too funny. They uh, they start brawling on the outside as they, they you know ninety nine hardcore matches tend to do, and we get a cookie sheet involved pretty early. And I had to ask you guys: Am I the only one who, like my brother and I, in this era, we any thin baking tray in our in our cupboard got hit over the head? Did you guys ever do this? <laughs> no. It really, it's just an impressive noise. It doesn't really hurt. Like those thin sheets, like they make a big bang, but I could get whacked full wallop across the head and it barely budged me. It was great. (laughs) (laughs) Now, where was I? (laughs) Cookie sheet. (laughs) Um, They try to use the ladder, but it comes off quite poorly. There's a few bot shots and we actually had the match pretty abruptly with a nightstick shot for the one, two, three boss man has played a blinder here, gotten his way into a title shot and won the title. And then he takes a dog anyway, because he's a bastard. (laughs) (laughs) A big boss bastard. (laughs) It's uh, not a great match, but the angle, it still makes me chuckle to this day. What did you guys think? 
shit yeah <laughs> one of the worst things across both shows for me um just really distressing to see the dog like that and the action was pretty poor yeah i just i'll follow that up <laughs> it's exactly the same <laughs> yeah definitely not the best part of the show um from there we go backstage and x park's having a bit of a moan telling kane that he's sick of being the weak link and we see chris jericho walking this was a thing they did back in the 90s they just cut away to people walking in corridors and whatnot i don't know what the point of it was but we did it all the time so much so that it was on the smackdown video games as well it's to save on match graphics i think Ah, good point. <laughs> like nowadays, you'd have like a big CGI thing. Coming up after the break is this match. Yeah. And then we go to a, a match. I forgot this, about, about this little rivalry. It didn't last long, but it was really enjoyable. The Road Dog taking on Chris Jericho. And by God, the Road Dog is over on his entrance. The hardcore title, and now he's left again. Yeah, um, this kicked off around SummerSlam, I think, and it's actually Chris Jericho's in-ring WWF debut. I have got yeah. that written down. Really cool. I always forget about this because the, my first memory of Jericho is obviously coming out of the Titan Tron and having that little thing with the rock. So I always forget that this was actually his in-ring debut. Yeah, he's got like little mini feuds with Road Dog, I think X Park and Ken Shamrock all in a short period of time. Uh, none of them last very long, but they do a good job of getting him established in the sort of upper mid echelon of the WWF pretty quickly. Yeah. Mm. Road Dog is. Um... When he gets on the mic, he complains about how in cell block D O double G, I couldn't trade your ass for a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> Some classic nineties insults right there. I know. And even earlier in the nineties, I think was Jericho's weird jumping air guitar. Uh, that was a bit of a WCW hangover that doesn't last long. And I was all a bit Wayne's world, really. The match itself gets started with a monkey flip from the road dog and he clotheslines Jericho out. JR really dates the show when he says Chris Jericho is the computer virus we may not be able to cure. Oh, boy. We get a superplex and then the Fink comes out and gets involved. He throws a drink right in, fr- right in the road dog's eyes, right in front of the referee, which somehow is not a disqualification. Um We get a backbreaker from Chris Jericho and then a double-arm backbreaker. Um, he goes and gets a table. Road Dog, however, blocks a suplex, a bit of a botch, um, hits his shake, rattle, and roll, and then his shaky knee drop for a two. And then Jericho just says, sod this, and power bombs him, and then pulls him up for the second power bomb, and straight through the table. This time the referee does disqualify him, so Road Dog picks up the win, but Jericho leaves him laying. Hmm. Yeah, um, this was not bad, actually. I got a lot more out of the Road Dog than I was expecting, and I think I kind of put that down to Jericho a bit. 
Um, it felt like he was the one that drew that out of him. Like some things still fell off with Jericho, like he's still trying to feel out the WWF <laughs> style and things like that. But this was far from the disaster that I expected. I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever seen or read about Jericho in this in his very, very early stages of his WWF career. He's not very high on it. People within the WWF weren't very high on him and the progress he was making. So like you're saying, Lee, there's all these quick feuds and they all get swept under the rug, really. I've got to be honest, I kind of watch this and and like I, I've read all that stuff you're talking about and I've always gone like I don't remember it that way and I watched this and I saw a couple of the little botches and you know the things like the jumping air guitar and trying to fig- find his groove and I kind of get a little bit of what they were talking about in that yeah he's really really good but he's not quite the finished package yet and I think a lot of people just remember Jericho came in like like you said Kyle interrupts the rock and he's straight into the main event but he's not quite yeah. at that level just yet um what did you think, Kyle? Um, yeah, I'm I'm kind of similar with you two. I, you know, there's a few botches in there, but I I quite enjoyed the match. It's a, it's a really likable match. Um, Road Dog and Jericho, both characters that I kind of you know stuck to um, as they're moving through this period. Um, so it's nice to see them um, go against each other. But like you said, the the fact that these rivalries just get swept under the rug just kind of voids them a little bit yeah i i agree um i probably if he'd have been given a a really like a good month or two long feud with someone decent to sink his teeth into we probably could have avoided this but putting him with a bunch of established names and letting him you know struggle and then moving into the next one probably didn't do him too many great favors um turns out okay for chris in the end though i probably won't feel too sorry for him we have a commercial, and when we come back, Jericho and Fink are backstage now, and Jericho is telling Fink that he shouldn't be letting Tony Chimmel take his job, and he should go out there and do something about it. So Finkel comes out to the Ultimate Warriors theme music and does the whole Ultimate Warrior entrance. What did you guys think about that? I don't even <laughs> remember this. <laughs> I watched it, and I was like, when did this even happen? It's quite handy how Jericho was encouraging Fink to be a warrior, and then immediately they had the Ultimate Warriors stuff queued up for him. <laughs> yeah, um, this is up for, for all you um, newer wrestling fans. This is before things like Spotify existed. They would have had to find that disc. <laughs> <laughs> He's um, too right he should be taking his job from Chimmel. He was fucking earlier on in the night talking about how Triple H was a World Wrestling Federation champion. <laughs> there's never been a better ring announced than Fink um, I think we can all agree on that yeah. unfortunately he doesn't win his little battle here he goes and jumps Chimmel but Chimmel beats him up and sends him packing Jericho comes out and argues and berates Fink and they're walking back up the ramp as Shamrock's coming out for his match we get a little shoulder bump and a little foreshadowing for one of those feuds I talked to you about um, Finkel then, however, goes to tell off Shamrock at Jericho's advice, and he wags his finger in Shamrock's face, and Shamrock just grabs it and bends it and runs him out of there. Um, interesting. We'll see where that plays out later on in the night. Pop Shamrock got as well. Oh, Shamrock was something else in the in the ninety eight ninety nine period. I absolutely loved him. My memories of Shamrock are always that shit character i could never beat on the game 
Oh, he's just to piss me off. <laughs> I don't know if he's ever played WWF Attitude, but that was the one with all the great like voiceovers through it. And I just, yeah. I'll never ever get out of my head when Shamrock's in the ring. You just hear the one guy in the crowd. I want to see Shamrock snap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great. Uh, from there, we we don't actually get the match, so that sort of gets. You know, he chases them out and that gets forgotten about. We see Stephanie coming out. Is it just me or is she dressed like a sixth grade school teacher here? <laughs> I don't yeah. remember. <laughs> um, all I remember is King calling Test a very good second rate wrestler. <laughs> Backhanded compliment if there's ever been one. <laughs> she, yeah, and she, um, she's calling him Andrew so that you know it's a shoot. <laughs> It would be a bit weird if they um, called him tested the ceremony, though, I suppose. I mean, they played this fucking music at the ceremony. <laughs> That's true. Oh, they could have had the first dance to stand back if it all went ahead. <laughs> oh, man. She doesn't agree to marry him, though, so we've got some good news. But it's short-lived because the Mean Street Posse and Shane come out not happy. This brings out Mankind with a chair who makes a save and he wants his match with Shane right now and he'll give Shane McMahon the chair to start with, which is quite the generous offer if I do say so. Um, Lots going on here. There's a bit of a mile a minute here so far. Very ECW this, merging segments together that you wouldn't expect. Yeah, it's quite quite nice actually um, to have quite a few things happening. It, It sort of keeps your investment in, you know, are these these segments going to mix together, you know, are they separate, but it's quite handy that they've put them together, you know, quite a lot of different things. Yeah, I agree with you both on that, actually, because I think if you compare it to now, like, you very much, your end of the match is the end of your segment, they'll tell you before the commercial what the match coming up is, and then they'll come back from the commercial and replay what happened before the commercial, before starting the next segment, and there's so many, like, blockages like the match graphic the commercial break coming back the replay and the introductions before the next thing starts it's very easy to change the channel and not come back yeah that's true actually i remember very few recaps in this show they always just had like a a little extra vignette of people with storylines that they want to keep in your memory and stuff like that so we'll see more of jericho and triple h and people like that Whereas in modern times, you'd probably get, oh, by the way, this thing happened an hour ago, just in case you forgot. Yeah, it doesn't reward you for watching the whole show anymore. Mm-hmm. Mankind gives Shane the chair, and he does hit him with it. Um, Mankind goes down, but gets up pretty quickly. Um, hits an elbow, and then a shot with the microphone. There's no referee yet. Um, we get a cactus clothesline. They brawl on the outside. Uh, Posse and attack Mankind, but Test is back up and makes a save. We get a double arm DDT and Mr. Socko, but China comes out and distracts the referee who has finally turned up, and Triple H comes out to wreck his chair, uh, wreck, wreck, wreck his leg, sorry, with the chair, um, and allow Shane to pick up the one, two, three. Um, in real life, Mankind's about to go off and have knee surgery, I'm pretty certain. Um, I don't think it's a major one, though, because he is back pretty quickly, but he's definitely having some knee troubles. Oh, shit, no, I'm completely forgetting. Ignore that. Austin's going off for knee surgery and Triple H has made a gimmick out of an attacking guy's legs with chairs. Um, pretty awful ending to the match, but overall a good segment, I thought. What did you guys think? We'll, we'll get to Austin's knee issues later on, but yeah, you're right. Mankind is only just back from knee surgery himself. He 
SummerSlam was kind of his comeback, I think. Um, more angle than match, really. The highlight for me was Test and Stephanie making the save on the posse. Test absolutely kicked Pete Gass's head off, and Stephanie was then choking him out after that. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a point during this segment where you watch um, Stephanie and you kind of think. Right, she definitely gets better in the ring <laughs> than she is there. She's definitely not in ring material at this point yet. No. It's always nice to see uh, see Triple H though in in these segments and seeing him destroy people. It's always nice. Yeah, it definitely helps establish him as a top guy. <laughs> I think if you're in like six or seven segments a show, you it's going to be hard to not be treated as the top guy. <laughs> That's very true. I have a feeling he'll be all right. <laughs> um, we go backstage uh, out, out to the, the um, outside the arena, actually, as Jericho is escaping in a car, and the bastard doesn't let Fink in the car, and Ken Shamrock gets a hold of him. Shamrock asks, what's that smell? And we really missed a trick here, an opportunity for Howard Finkel to repeat the classic segment from No Holds Barred and tell him it's dookie. <laughs> well, the special effects look straight out of that movie, at least. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Really, really good stuff as we go to a commercial. Um, when we come back, we've got Michael Cole sitting down with Austin, and this is where my memory got jumbled before. Again, apologies. Um, a really good interview. He says he's out with a knee injury, and when he returns, he'll be coming back to take down Triple H. Kind of a mixed bag, this one, for me, in terms of whether he actually wants to put Triple H over or not. So when he's talking about his knee injury, he's like, oh, Jesus Christ, kid, I had it going into SummerSlam already. I just wanted to suck it up and defend the title. So, you know, he's refusing to blame Triple H for him being injured. And then later on, when Cole starts putting over Triple H's mean streak, I'm like, oh, goddamn, kid, he might be playing a page out of Stone Cold's playbook, but he ain't read the whole damn book. Yeah, it's a bit a bit odd. I think this is one of those things you can point to if you were to ever have to defend Triple H in some sort of wrestler's court. <laughs> <laughs> you could say that, you know, he's, um, his mentor, Shawn Michaels, was the master of politics and mind games and not necessarily wanting to put people over clean. And the person who took over from him, Stone Cold, was then to do the favor for Triple H and didn't exactly do that without kicking and screaming a little bit either. So that's a, a tick in the defense of Triple H column. Yeah, I would agree with that. From there, we go to a, another match that really shows a sign of the times. It's an evening gown match, Ivory taking on Tory. These are so weird, these matches. How did these even exist? You could, um, you could recreate them on the video games as well. They were a staple for a good number of years. Yeah, absolutely bonkers. <laughs> Tori should have been immediately disqualified, though, because she's not in an evening gown. She's in an <laughs> XXXL WWF business shirt. That's, yeah, that's very true. Tori <laughs> In, straight, straight out of any movie scene where she's hooked up with a guy and it's the morning after. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, um, Tori's music, holy transitional music from Virtua Tennis, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> There's a blast from the past I didn't expect to talk about today. 
I can't remember exactly what it was, but it just kind of like, and I was expecting like the continuity announcer to tell me that I picked Jim Courier. <laughs> oh, man. So the match isn't all that much to shout about. Tori obviously comes out dressed in a men's shirt, as we talked about, hits a spear and some punches, a bit of ragdoll action and goes for the dress of ivory. Um, <clears throat> rips off the dress and you hear the, the teenage boys of the crowd pop. Um, she keeps attacking her and Luna comes out to break it up. Um, that's pretty much the end of the segment. I have no idea what they're going for here, but it, it wasn't great. Fella, really? Yeah, it was it was quite bad. <laughs> <laughs> we then go backstage to Lillian, who's with Triple H in China. He threatens The Rock and Shawn Michaels. We cut to Shawn Michaels walking, once again showing off his um, academy shirt with the phone number in case you want to sign up for lessons. <laughs> and we then see Test and Stephanie leave being congratulated by the Stooges and other uh, officials backstage. So more of this like mishmash of little different things spliced in here. Anything stand out for either of you? Well, all the while this is going on, Al Snow is still looking for Pepper, and he even goes to the production truck. And at one point, Jerry the King Lawler tells us that Bossman left. I don't know how he knows that. You'd think someone in the production truck would tell Al that, because that's my best guess at how he would know that. Yeah, it's a bit odd that that um that segment i quite like the the idea of all the different segments it's something when i've gone back and watched a few of the older stuff um that i think's missing from the shows today you know i quite like the keeping everything all intertwined with each other mm. i thought there was some excellent foreshadowing here in triple h's interview as well he, he was telling Shawn Michaels to call it down the middle or he won't walk again. Yeah. <laughs> Just give it three well, years. <laughs> More on that to come, eh? <laughs> oh, man. It's time now for our main event. It's The Rock taking on Triple H for the World Heavyweight Championship. And I'll tell you what, like before this match even starts, what a brilliant main event for the first episode of SmackDown, hey? The Rock versus Triple H, both red hot, and Shawn Michaels, one of your you know biggest stars of the last five years as the referee. Just brilliant stuff. None of this um, B-show filler crap that we're going to see on Thunder in the, in the weeks and months to come. It's perfect. They're not immediately involved with each other in the storyline, but they've had a previous rivalry that's kind of bubbled over and this is exactly what you want on a, a TV match. This has been established as a pay-per-view feud and it's just cooled off a little bit and now just enough time has passed for them to revive it a bit again. I tell you what though, lads, I think we found out the real reason that Triple H has it in for Scott Steiner. The chain mail. <laughs> he is jealous that he cannot pull off the chain mail. <laughs> <laughs> this part of his look does not stay for long <laughs> it does not the match itself is pretty hot when it gets started though they both attempt their finishes early uh, Triple H clotheslines the rock to the outside they brawl along there rock suplexes Triple H on the ramp and a Russian leg sweep on the ramp which is um interesting <laughs> you definitely yeah, two decent bumps to be taking early in a match on TV but uh, kudos to both of them for that and I spot the sign of the night for me, give Jimmy Miranda a push. And I just wonder if that's the ultimate warrior in, in disguise, because that was like the one of the main points of his Hall of Fame speech a good 10 years later. 
Oh, no way. That's the Warrior Award guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. I felt like, um, you know, that, that popular little meme that's going around online at the moment, the OK Boomer. I just put OK Warrior. <laughs> <laughs> China gets a low blow on the Rock, um, but he kicks out of the pin. Rock hits a DDT, Triple H with his high knee. And then Shane McMahon comes out. Uh, we get a suplex and a knee drop for a two. Rock with a hot shot and a neck breaker. Shane McMahon keeps getting on the apron, and eventually the Rock socks him one. The Rock bottom, and he goes for the people elbow. But right as he's coming in for the people's elbow, boom! Super kick from Shawn Michaels. Pedigree, one, two, three. And this finishing se- sequence is perfectly etched in my memory. I could close my eyes and not watch it, and I could have described that with no problem whatsoever absolutely love this finish did not see it coming brilliant stuff um what about you guys i'll let kyle lead off here um, <laughs> i i absolutely loved it um not just because it was triple h in a main event but um it's one of those matches where you don't see quite often now where you've got a match on either Raw or SmackDown that, that is pay-per-view worthy. You know, the fact that this is um, kind of your your debut on a, on a new channel, um, you want to put on a, a good main event. And for me, this this could have been put on, uh, you know, pay-per-view quite easily. Um, nice back and forth, fast pace. Um, like you said right at the very beginning, Lee, with the um, the moves on the ramp, doing that so early in a match um, kind of amps it up a little bit and um, you know keeps the the momentum going. Mm, this was a very good main event. These lads have just such effortless chemistry. They they basically almost sleepwalked to match of the night. Really, it was just really expertly measured and paced, and that super kick at the end. That's almost like kicking Shelton Benjamin out of midair level, switching music yeah. out of nowhere. That stuck around for a really yeah. long time. Yeah, so I think safe to say we all enjoyed SmackDown then, hey lads? Yeah. Yeah, the, the shitty stuff was really brief compared to its, its more compelling elements, definitely. Yeah, I think we've got the... Um the boss man and pepper stuff and the evening gown stuff was very, very short. And the rest of the stuff was pretty well filled with main event to upper mid card talent from start to finish. I mean, you look at the list of names that we saw on the show and I'm sure we'll go into this at the ratings at the end, but you had Kane X park acolytes, undertake a big show road dog, Chris Jericho, Ken Shamrock, the rock triple H like what a list of names for one episode of SmackDown. Yeah, yeah, it's very good. Yeah, it's huge. I think the like we we've just been speaking about. You know, if you've got a show that's eighty five percent amazing and you know very entertaining, you kind of forget about the the other shit that's <laughs> that's been on. Um, you know, it, it's when the majority is poor is when you kind of remember all these poor things that happened. Yeah, absolutely. I think the whole, like, I guess the um, 
the whole theory that there's a, a something for everyone on every show. And if you liked 85% of that show, then, and you, you know, maybe it's a stretch, but you assume somebody liked the stuff that you didn't, it's near enough to the perfect show. If you get that percentage of, of stuff that you really enjoy, I think this was as far as an episode of TV goes, it's one of the better ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Peace God. Peace God. Now the shit is explained. I'm taking niggas on a trip straight through memory lane. It's like that jaw. It's like that jaw. So now we've reached the halfway point. Um, Kyle, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, what we Uh-oh. normally do at the halfway point <laughs> is ask the guest for a um, favorite piece of merchandise or memorabilia from now or the past and discuss. So anything off the top of your head that you have to discuss with us today? Um, so one of my most famous memorabilia that I've got is um, – I've got the John Cena spinner belt um, and it was bought for me when I was at uh, um, college and we we were doing a, like a variety show um, when I was studying for performing arts at college um, and I was the host of the show and <laughs> it's really cringy thinking back about it now. Um I came out to the DX music with all my t- DX stuff on with the spinner belt and introduced the whole variety <laughs> show. <laughs> and <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> luckily, um, I, I've tried to get it um, on DVD from from college, asking like past members of staff who who used to be there, and um, the same that they can't find it. Which I'm quite glad, actually. <laughs> My favourite part about this segment is that it always triggers like really good memories from the past. And <laughs> as you're saying, you've got the the spinner belt. I remembered the first belt I ever bought was the United States spinner belt. And yeah. the day it arrived, there was like this huge um, boxing match on pay per view over here, and I. Uh, I was with my brother and some friends and we got pretty drunk. I would have been early twenties at this point. And um, I was spinning the belt and it wasn't done up all the way. And the plate spun off it and I was flying <laughs> drunk. I was as heartbroken as you will ever see a grown man be over, <laughs> over a wrestling toy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, when I sobered up the next morning, I realized you could just screw it back on and it was fine. It was actually pretty sturdy, but <laughs> I was heartbroken. <laughs> Oh, boy. My first belt, I got it on my 11th birthday. It was just the foam WWF title, the the one that Stone Cold had but wasn't the smoking school belt. You, you know, the second generation of the winged eagle or whatever. And yeah, They were class for playing with those things. They were great. Yeah, it was good. And I was so fat that I had to put the Velcro on the very, very final bit of the of the straps. <laughs> but they gave you little marks and stuff to cut around in case you needed to trim it down. But like, nope, there was no trimming down needed. <laughs> Strictly over the shoulder belt. <laughs> oh, so good. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, there you have it. We've got belt talk today. That's brilliant. That's uh, one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> so now we've all managed to talk about not only um, belt experiences, but embarrassing belt experiences. Should we go over <laughs> yeah. and check out Thunder? <laughs> <laughs> somebody needs a lashing for this show i'll tell you that <laughs> oh man So glad that it was only an hour. <laughs> I couldn't stand yeah, any more of it. <laughs> presented in the most complete form possible due to technical difficulties, and we all breathed a sigh of relief. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Larry Sabisco and Tony Schiavone are the commentary team. Um, I'm, it's probably no surprise to anyone listening that there was a favourite and a least favourite in these two shows, but we watched them both, so we're going to talk about it anyway. <laughs> Yeah, today and Zabisco very obviously recorded in post-production with a commentary here. Oh, indeed. Uh, not good. And our first match, speaking of not good, uh, which is sort of... First, well, I'll get to the match first. It's it's public enemy taking on Sid, yep, just on his own against a tag team. Um, and the music is overdubbed so badly that we lose all commentary, crowd noise, and the ring announcements during this. It's... Um, I guess you can't really. I, I don't know where the, the blame lies with entirely, but maybe if they had just put it in with the original audio, it might have been better. And maybe the WWE did a hatchet job at you know taking out the music, but it just really made for a poor experience for me. Yeah, it's being too cheap to pay Jimmy Hart again. Really, Sid's WCW theme was really really good, and I actually kind of like his overdubbed theme as well but definitely not public enemies overdub theme that was shite what are these lads doing here anyway have they literally just hopped off from being shit canned by the wwf i yeah i kind of they were they on the the pilot episode of smackdown because for some reason in my mind i remember them appearing on smackdown i the only appearance i know of of the making was that time they were on Sunday Night Heat and the Acolytes beat the ever-loving piss out of them. That must be what I'm thinking of, yeah. But they just they bounced around all three companies for a little while here by the looks of it. Mm. Yeah, they, they were early 99. They were, they were on um, a few episodes of Raw. Okay. The mm. stock's obviously dropped by this point then it did them no favors because sid beats the piss out of them here <laughs> big bo- big boots clotheslines absolute total squash match um their job guys their offense is no sold by sid and the commentators are talking about sid's body count it's like they're trying to do some sort of a vicious version of the goldberg streak here with sid um the ending is quite cool though sid chokeslams both these guys at once and these are not small guys so despite the fact that it was a bit of a waste in a squash, at least the finish made Sid look like a monster. Um, Didn't even take his vest off for the match either, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pretty serviceable way of putting Sid over here as well. There was one time when he whipped grunge into the buckles and the whole ring shook. That's another little hoss moment for him there. Yeah, this whole record of his 
that he's calling the, the record for the millennium. It's kind of his version of Goldberg's streak. And Tanae was putting over that he was so delusional about this that he's going to count this as two wins because he beat two people. Ugh. I, I mean, they did the same thing with Goldberg's streak, to be fair. Yeah, that was highly inflated too. Kyle, how did you think Sid came across here? Uh-oh. This was just awful. Aww. It was just... The, the thing is, I I was trying to enjoy Thunder as much as I could because I I obviously, as you, you're aware from big previous podcasts, I have this bias towards WWF. Um, so I try and have a clean slate when I'm watching anything WCW. Um, but I just felt that the whole Sid Vicious talking to himself at uh, the end of the match, the the crowd was clearly disinterested in whatever he was doing with the cameraman. And I don't know, I just, I I was jarred a little bit as to what, what I'm supposed to jump onto here. Carl, having a WWF bias, but trying to give WCW a clean slate when you watch is literally the whole premise of this podcast. So welcome aboard. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you raise an excellent point. That promo at the end was a bit iffy. So he's yeah. talking about in the year 2000, one, one name will reign supreme because he is the millennium man. And then they just cut him off and go to commercial. <laughs> so bizarre. <laughs> There's several well, points I mean, in this show where they do this. They, they just, something's not coming off right and they don't know how to end it. So they're just like, shit, we better get out of here. He's got he's got a little bit of a point because in the new millennium, one botch clip did reign supreme. I don't know if you boys ever remember the days of like LimeWire and Kazar and downloading this clip only to see and be mortified by it. But the, um, the Sid leg break is something that did stick with everyone through the turn of the millennium. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had no idea that that happened until like I got to university and oh my god I looked terrible but the viral clip that I prefer of Sid's is the well there's two of them there's the half the I'm half you're half a man and I have half a brain and you know that clip with the outsiders <laughs> yeah and it's the yeah. other one we're live pal no it's um it's the 22 no goldberg why me <laughs> when his car gets crushed <laughs> i've not seen that one i'll have to check it out oh spicy when you find it is <laughs> you're on hey moses where's my car man right, space 22 man. 22 22 Now, the next segment, I have no idea what it is. Coach Buzz Stern, and he's basically just, you know, yelling at a bunch of, I guess, training wrestlers. I have I have never heard of Coach Buzz Stern. I'm assuming this doesn't go too far, but it didn't look great either. No, completely drawing a blank from me as well. This is uh, maybe two or three months before I started watching WCW, and I guess he's probably on the outs when Bischoff goes on the outs, but this screamed 
low, 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 low card gimmick for me. I'm sure that he, um, Stern, he used to be a wrestler in WCW and this was his repackage. I'll have to have a look into that. I've no idea. Um, you might be right, but I'll yeah. I want to I want to say Eclipse, but Eclipse isn't. Oh, is it Glacier? Glacier? Maybe. You no know way. Oh, you're shitting me. Yeah, I'm sure. Sh- oh. I'm sure. I'm sure that it's lads. If it, that's true, that is a downgrade and a half. In I've fact, been... give me a second. <laughs> just on my phone now. It is. Yeah. So Glacier oh becomes Coach Buzz Stern. I thought it was, yeah. For for the sake of this podcast, that's actually a bombshell because I've been obviously <laughs> going through Raw and Nitro from the beginning and for what seems like about a year now, I've been talking about, we next go to an ad for Glacier and he's still not debuted. And the first time I see him, he's fucking Coach Buzz Stern. <laughs> 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 so wait, hang on. Let, let, let's try and kayfabe here how Glacier transforms into Coach Buzz Stern. <laughs> <laughs> he's obviously this big mortal combat addict and now i guess he's finally got up from the couch and started training to be a real wrestler now i, I don't know i'm i'd kind of prefer to think that turning him into coach buster and he's like the sickest of all fatalities <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh i think i can't remember if it was mortal combat two or three you could end a match with a friendship instead of a fatality and you just like have a cake laid out for your opponent when you beat them and stuff. This feels like yeah. a like a WCW friendship for me. <laughs> I think there was one too, wasn't there, where there was a babality and you could turn them into a baby. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yes, I remember that. Yeah. Oh, good times. <laughs> if we we next go to a match that um, I guess is like a little bit of a clash of um, styles and and personas right now it's eddie guerrero ray mysterio and billy kidman um this is i think just before uh, these guys were in like the filthy animals and whatnot i think it might even still be in the, the revolution days um i'm the, the wcw factions have all molded together for me but the one that stands out is they're taking on the west texas rednecks who come out to yes that amazing theme song i'm a rap guy but i still love this theme song i was gonna <laughs> ask you about this like, <laughs> these must be the biggest heels in wrestling for you no new song welcome Kurt west texas redneck rap 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 is crap crap and it go like this right here one two one two three four like they've created the ultimate battle rap to say how they hate rap <laughs> <laughs> i loved hennig singing along to this when they were coming out <laughs> um yeah just back to your point about the the future filthy animals they're kind of in no man's land here because they were originally the no limit soldiers with master p who i think british fans might 
know of him from the Louis Farouk Weird Re- Weekends episode on rap. He had a, like a, a cup of coffee with WCW, made a lot of money, and then just kind of went away. And Ray and Conan were like his boys that would actually wrestle for him and stuff. And yeah, this is the fallout from them. That they're like the hangover of the the rap versus country feud. Cup of coffee is basically describing Master Masterpiece rap career as well as his WCW one. To be fair, he was in and out in a, in a flash. The match itself um, is pretty lengthy, actually, and it's not bad, to be honest. Um, we have Kendall, uh, it's the West Texas Rednecks, for those that don't know. It's Barry and Kendall Wyndham and Kurt Hennig and... Um, Bobby Jerry. Duncan Jr. Oh, yeah, Bobby Duncan, yeah. There we go. And unfortunately, Kurt's the outside rather than in the ring, but still provides some entertainment throughout. Well, um, unfortunately for us, probably fortunately for Kurt Hennig's back. Yeah. Well, we'll give him a pass on that one. <laughs> well, speaking of giving a pass, did you hear Tanae talking about the Regnex supposedly won the tag titles from Harlem Heat? But I don't see any tag titles anywhere. Yeah, I do not understand what this was all about. I think at this point, they taped two weeks of Thunder in one taping. And so they taped this on a Monday before the Harlem Heat lost the tag titles and they're like, oh shit, how are we going to wreck on this? And there's a, there's a Harlem Heat match coming up where um, I think it will give more credence to my theory as well. Ah, yeah, I remember what you're talking about now. It does, it, It's ringing a bell. This match here has got some good action. We get drop kicks and... Um, we, I, I can't help but wonder, like, with the, the look here of Rey Mysterio, he's got no mask and he's wearing jeans and a tank top. Like, it really throws me. Um, but the big takeaway early on is how over Eddie Guerrero is. The crowd are right behind him. I've never heard him this over as a face in WCW. Yeah, um, I think this is maybe three or four months removed from his big comeback after that car accident. And so people kind of have that fondness for him. From that kind of like when Ruby H came back from his quad injury, you know, you just automatically a baby face if you you've had an injury that severe. The um the sound quality is pretty awful here though. We've talked about already. Um, Kidman hits a running springboard bulldog, and we go to a commercial. When we come back, we get a shot of the heels on the ring. And did you guys notice this? It looks like Barry Windham is wearing fake cowboy boots. He's got like kick pad kind of things that look like cowboy boots over the top of a pair of trainers. <laughs> Yeah, no, I didn't like, notice you know, that. Do, do you know, sorry, did you say you did? No, I didn't notice it, no. Oh, you've <laughs> got to go back and look. Like, do you know, um, I don't know if you guys, like, obviously I, I collect a lot of the, the figures and the like the old school Dusty Rhodes and the uh, Magnum TA have got these white boots with like a red eagle on them. Um, and it looks like that design, but when you look closely, it's actually just like, you know, it kind of looks like a shin pad in football, but it goes all the way around and it's not attached and he's just got a pair of trainers on underneath. I thought, is there anything more like gimmicky in wrestling than fake cowboy boots? I didn't pay that a blind bit of notice. I just zoned out and assumed he was just in his old new blackjacks gear from when he was in the (laughs) WWF. Oh, by the way, um, I... I will not be taking up your invitation to go back and watch this show and try and figure <laughs> out. <laughs> <Take it up. laughs> 
I'll see if I can find a picture of it and put it up when I put the episode live. <laughs> we get a big back suplex off the second rope from Kendall. Um, the heels triple team on Eddie for some near falls. We get a superplex from Barry, but Ray makes a save. Eddie comes back with some good offense, a DDT and a springboard head scissor. Hot tags in Ray, who hits a springboard X-Factor. We get a big brawl with everyone. And Ray goes for a Bronco Buster, but Kurt nails him with the cowbell from the floor. Referee doesn't see. Ray does come back on. He's a top rope runner for a one, two, three. Good match with a hot crowd. Um, after the bell, the heels all get in and beat down the faces. And then Harlem Heat come out and chase him away. Um, I was not expecting anything going into this match. Uh, I don't think I considered the West Texas Rednecks as guys I was expecting to see really good matches out of. But this surprised me. It was quite good. Kyle? Um, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it. I mean, I'm not obviously as familiar as you two are with, with all the WCW um, like storylines and, and the characters, but just watching from the outside in, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, like Obviously, I know... Eddie Kidman and, and Ray from, from WWE. So it's nice to see like their younger selves um, completely over with the, the audience. Um, like you say, Lee, I, it, it completely threw me um, seeing Ray with no mask. Yeah, it just looks about 12, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> True. I thought this was really solid as well. The baby faces were great the crowd were really biting on that cowbell false false finish and there's a lot of points in this show where they really really pipe in crowd noises and things like that but this was the match where the audience felt genuinely invested um i felt it would have been elevated a lot more if the rednecks didn't fall into these like generic wrestler stuff in their control periods yeah fair enough so here's where i guess like for me this show takes a real downturn um i don't know if you guys remember playing like um the career mode to the storyline modes on the earlier smackdown games not so much the gm mode on the newer 2k games but when you just sort of randomized your show um you ended up with like people in repeated matches and segments and things that didn't make sense and that's what we get here because despite the fact that he was in a two-on-one squash match earlier Rick and Rick Steiner and now Sid come back out for a promo with Gene Oakland. Um, this is just ridiculous and makes absolutely no sense. And not only that, but it's to set up a match later on in the show. So we're going to have two Sid matches. Um, just really, really baffling. This was, it was almost like, and I'm sure this is the actual case. They just don't have enough decent guys to show up for thunder. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> um, it almost felt, felt like, the, the Sid squash at the start should have been something on the previous episode of Thunder, and they've kind of bundled all of these things together. Kyle, what do you think about Sid being the Triple H of Thunder with his multiple segments? Uh, he's not the Triple H of WCW, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. You're absolutely ridiculous. It's so weird seeing Rick Steiner as well with like a dog belt around his neck. Dog face gremlin, baby. It's just, oh, <laughs> this whole experience has been weird. <laughs> so, two things from this segment for me. One, Sid was asked about his streak. Mean Gene was like, What, you're going up to 74 and all now? And he was like, eh, Something like that, Mean Gene. Who's keeping count? I'm thinking. 
You are, hopefully. <laughs> and two, this is another segment where it just goes to commercials seemingly out of embarrassment again. Oh, fair enough, though. It's a bloody awful promo. Um, they waste a lot of time just to basically say they're going to be taking on Saturn and Benoit in the main event, and there's nothing much comes to this at all. It's just utter crap. It felt weird hearing Mean Gene talk about, oh, you know, Saturn and Benoit have challenged you tonight, and I'd rather hear that from the horse's mouth. I mean, I guess they're not the best speakers, but it's just like... It's just like they've gone to their dad to like wrap them out and say, Dad, can you get me this tag match later on tonight? It doesn't make anyone look good either, because like, did they challenge them after they knew Sid had already had a two-on-one match? Did they challenge them before and Sid's an idiot and took two matches on the sh- same show? Um, if Sid knew about that and took the other match, is that not a question Gene might pose to him? Hey, you knew you had this match coming up. Why did you take a two-on-one handicap match? You know, like there's more questions than answers. Uh, from there we go to our next match and I'm going to splice in the overdub theme here because it's actually a crime to my ears this is the worst one yet for the cat Um, (laughs) oh no He's out with Sonny Ono, and they're taking on Prince Ikea. Um, Ikea cuts a terrible promo before the match as well, so I'll give you a little bit of that too. Calm down, Cat. Come on. Cat, I got good news for you. Good news for you. Don't be upset now. I got a good news. We got Prince here. Prince. Prince. Prince, man, Prince. We got Purple Rain. Purple Rain. Baby, I love Prince. Get him out of here. He might let me dance with him. Purple Rain. You know my favorite. What's your favorite? Purple Rain. 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 What did the cat come out with? It was like some kind of sheriff's buckle or something? It looked like a geode or something at first. I have no idea. <laughs> the um the only redeeming part about this was Cat, who's obviously trying to get like a um a bit of a music vibe to him saying Oh no, sorry, not Cat, Prince, who's who's obviously um Taking off Prince says that Purple Rain is here. That that line alone was about the only redeeming thing from this whole exchange. It was just terrible. There's a lot of pop culture I found in this episode. Yeah, well, we've got a party like it's 1999 when you think about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kat says he'll beat him in under three minutes. Um, we get a super kick. We get a um, the, the sound quality drops again. It's so bad here. We actually can't hear the commentary, and there's just piped in crowd noise over the top of it. Um, 
Prince Ikea hits the SOS. Uh, Sonny Ono distracts the ref. Cat pulls off his red shoe. Um, sorry, puts on a red shoe <laughs> and hits a kick for the one, two, three. And I'm thinking here, like, he could have just worn the shoes. Like, it doesn't need to distract the ref. Like, everybody else has got shoes on, but whatever. Um, this one was so bad, it rated on the Hammerlock scale, which I've not done recently because I've had some good shows. And I got a solid 6 out of 10 for being utter shit. <laughs> <laughs> This was pretty enough, wasn't it? The what um couple of things I noted was there was a sign in the crowd that said Hulkamania is dead, Scuttlebutt lives on. Okay. <laughs> and interesting bits on commentary with Mike Tanay talking about there's going to be a new WCW president and Eric Bischoff is the lead candidate for that. Interesting. No, if you know what's coming in the next month, he will not be the lead candidate for that. <laughs> um, at some point, Prince did the angle slam. Ah, oh, I must have missed that one. I did not put that in my notes at all. There's one other thing we missed as well. Um, before that match, there was a video package for Berlin. Oh, yes, I did that that Alex, right? Um, what was with his little finger blades that he wore on his hand? What I want to know is why does the only German in the company not how to know how to spell Berlin? <laughs> yeah, he's his gimmick is that this weird mix of the Matrix and industrial Germany. I'm surprised that they're kind of profiling him here like this is a really brand new character. He was on the the Louis Ferru wrestling episode they were like hanging around backstage in i think it was like march or april and he was like there was like yes i'm going to debut tonight yes <laughs> that's just, that a very good accent <laughs> <laughs> not bad at all <laughs> oh man it's just terrible this is this like going back and watching wcw as much as i do now i really regret not seeing some of it like i was you know, when the NWO were at their peak and everybody had NWO merchandise, I was like, nope, don't care. Like, new generation. I was so diehard. But towards the tail end, like, WCW came to Brisbane twice and I did not go to either show. I had zero interest and I've always regretted that. But this is the stuff that's why. Like, you've got to point to this again. This is why I had no interest in the product whatsoever. <laughs> WCW came to Britain around that same time as well, but I just had no idea that they were coming. It's it's really funny. I watched worldwide pretty much every week, and there was no adverts or anything. Like the the only thing I remember was Goldberg was on Granada Reports or whatever, having an interview. And like, oh, WCW are here, and, and obviously we couldn't get tickets by then. No wonder they went out of business. Uh huh. <laughs> Our next match is um, Harlem Heat taking on Nobbs and Hugh Morris. And we've got Jimmy Hart and Jerry Flynn out for the outside. So not exactly a dream match here, if I'm being honest. Um, and we're told by the commentary team it was meant to be a title match, but the Wyndhams won the belt on Nitro, as you talked about earlier, Duncan. Yeah, so immediately from commercial, they joined this match at the bell. So my theory here is the entrances originally featured Harlem Heat coming out with the tag titles and all of us have to cut that out because they're not the champs anymore. Ah, very well deducted there. We get kicks from Hugh Morris, a big pump kick from Stevie Ray. 
Jimmy Hart uh, at ringside here is why I've got I've got like Jimmy Hart still being at ringside in '99 is an example of why I think WCW really did fail in the end. They just could not let go of any character, and it's just so diluted by now. Um, we get a Stevie Ray sort of chases Jimmy Hart off the apron. We get a double clothesline for a two. Big clothesline from Stevie Ray and the hot tag to Booker, who comes in with a couple of spin kicks and a scissor kick, misses a drop kick after a uh, botched interference attempt, and we get the one, two, three. Um, not a good match at all. I didn't enjoy this one bit. What did you guys think? I thought it was kind of decent, actually. Pretty serviceable tag team wrestling, but we'll get this coming up in the next match as well. It's just the law of diminishing returns. You already had your hottest tag match earlier on in the show. Um, Booker was very good, and I thought Stevie was actually kind of decent as well. He did a pump kick a la Sheamus. It was quite good. You mentioned the audio quality in previous matches on this show. It was so distracting, the piped-in crowd noise at one point in this match. Just no attempt at all to make this seem like real or convincing whatsoever. What do you yeah, think, Kyle? My, I, I quite enjoyed the match, if I'm honest. Um, I think my big take from this was that to see Booker T in pants was weird. <laughs> <laughs> the match obviously really left a deep de- de- imprint. <laughs> I'll be on. I, I mean, I, I've said it before. I'll be totally honest. I really struggled watching this. I really did. <laughs> no one's blaming you, man. <laughs> Well, Kyle, luckily enough for you, if you need a little excitement, you can snap into a Slim Jim. <laughs> I love it. The um, the Macho Man Slim Jim merch is still going strong in 2020, so this has obviously left a mark on a lot more people than Nobbs and Hugh Morris as a tag team did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Hart's first family will not go down in the annals of wrestling history quite so much as Macho Man Randy Savage does. <laughs> Definitely not. We get a second um, Buzz Stern, a.k.a. Glacier segment, and I'm more excited by finding out he's Glacier than I was by anything they did on the show. (laughs) It's just so generic, isn't it? It's so bad. Um, Then we go to um, Dean Malenko and Shane Douglas taking on Disorderly Conduct. Um, I had no idea who they were. Um, It's Mean Mike and Tough Tom. Um, Not ringing a bell for me. Um, Nothing important. Um, had the same note. Who the fuck are these lads? (laughs) WCW has a habit of bringing in people for like a couple of weeks and they're meant to be a big deal and then you just never see them again. We get a couple of bits of decent action. We get a reverse DDT, uh, sorry, a a dropkick and a clothesline. Uh, Shane Douglas hits a nice delayed vertical suplex. Um, We get a jawbreaker from Tough Tom. Shane Douglas with a belly to belly. And then we get a leg lariat and a Texas Cloverleaf from Dean Malenko for the tap-out victory. So at least Malenko gets to be the star of the show in a pretty throwaway segment here. Again, nothing great. And you're right, Duncan, the um, law of diminishing returns with these tag matches, they're not getting any better, are they? Exactly. This is way less effective coming immediately after the Harlem Heat match. I thought it was funny as well, Malenko and uh, Douglas, they do a drop-toe-hold-elbow combination, and... Jimmy Hart's first family did that same combination in the match before, and they actually did it better than the supposedly technically proficient tag team. 
again more distracting fake crowd noise did you hear the fake revolution chants from the crowd oh i didn't make note of that that's um that's terrible if they've piped that in it was cringy as fuck i thought douglas was surprisingly solid in this match actually even though i was ragging on the double teams earlier but the heels just sucked it's a pretty fair point would you agree kyle i i would yeah, i would agree with that <laughs> This is um, not just tough to watch, it's a bit tough to talk about at this point, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, don't think we're going to have to do the toughest time rating these shows in a minute. <laughs> this is definitely not an episode to promote Thunder. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good episode to point to why Thunder died. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. The, the first thing <clears throat> of the show that really got me a little bit excited was DDP coming out. Um, unfortunately, it's heel DDP, and he cuts a really generic promo. He's got a hit list, and he wants Sting, Hulk Hogan, and Goldberg. He does have big heat, but it's hard to tell how much of that was on the night and how much was spliced in, so don't put too much into that. But at least coming out of that, we've got DDP versus Chavo Guerrero, which was the first match. I thought, oh, yeah, I could like this. This is a running theme of funders around this time. I'd find them before they were on the network at, like, Right after I was finishing my PhD and was had a bit of insomnia, I wanted something to go to sleep to. I'd find <laughs> old Thunder episodes like this, and you'd always get Mean Gene. He'd hype up a big interview with someone and he'd treat them like a babyface and he'd be like, "Oh, DDP, all these fans are here to here to see you. They want to see the Diamond Cutter." And then DDP like heals out and like, "Yeah, they can suck it, man." And like, this is a repeated trope. At this point, uh, Kathy came in and started watching the show with me, and there was a sign in the crowd for DDP that said, bang this, and she was just like, oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) It it never happens when something good's on. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, you mentioned DDP had this hit list. Um, Sting and Goldberg and Hogan and Tanae's putting it over it's like oh what an impressive hit list well it's only impressive if he actually takes them out like <laughs> I can sit here and go yeah Brock Lesnar Roman Reigns Seth Rollins you're on my hit list man and Tanae will be like oh he's good he's good oh <laughs> <sighs> Man, the the match itself, um, unfortunately, it might be something I was excited for, but the trade Yo Mama jokes, which takes is so bad. Yeah, wow. <laughs> when this happened, Kathy asked me, why are these people so horrible? <laughs> oh, she's definitely not wrong. <laughs> In fairness, they were ahead of their time. Yo Mama became a TV show for a while. <laughs> whole show oh my god (laughs) it was a show where the design of the show was two people had to exchange yo mama jokes and the best one won (laughs) i'm pretty certain it was on mtv actually oh no (laughs) i'll see if i can find a clip of it and put some in it was terrible because obviously on tv it's got to be pg as well so there's only so many things you can say about someone's mother without crossing the line of television standards that's that's incredible. 
<laughs> oh man, DDP jumps Chavo. We're gonna tilt to World Slam. They brawl on the outside. We go to a commercial. Uh, we come back. DDP hits a spine buster, but pulls Chavo up off the pin attempt. So any hope I had of this being a competitive match with um a solid under underneath guy and a main event guy were dashed pretty quickly. But Chavo does get a quick hope spot roll up. Unfortunately, it's just a two. Then he eats a diamond cutter for the one, two, three, and it was another throwaway match. Go figure. They've zero respect for the viewing audience here. They cut to commercial at one point, and then when they come back from commercial, they're in exactly the same spot as they were when they left. They do not give a shit. <laughs> Other than DDP doing the rock bottom, this was meh. What do you think, Kyle? I again, I agree. <laughs> I have no notes for this match. <laughs> That's all it deserves. Fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) At this point of watching through, I'd closed my book. I was just like, I'm just going to watch this. And I'm not even going to put any notes down. (laughs) This is the opposite to me forgetting I'd made a cup of coffee for the Rocket Triple H segment. (laughs) The polar opposite. Oh my god, that it's just terrible. There's there's nothing to talk about. Let's go to the main event. <laughs> <laughs> it's um Rick Steiner and Sid taking on Benoit and Saturn, which we talked about before. Um, the ring announcer gets a message from Sid during the introductions and says if they're not quiet, the crowd that is, Sid will leave and never return. Um, good heat, but um, a bit hard to get your count up if you're going to walk out every time the crowd boos, mate. Oh, yeah, I, I couldn't believe it at this point. I was like, oh my god, they're teasing another Sid promo. This would be his third one. <laughs> and not a good one yet. So, you know, I guess he's just got to keep swinging until he hits. <laughs> well, he does like softball, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why, is it, why he wants to leave and never return. The season's probably about to start. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, they brawl along the outside. Benoit hits a crossbody, but uh, Steiner makes a save. Steiner locks on a camel clutch. We get a clothesline from Benoit and a big, big Sid sucks chant. We go to a commercial. We come back. Sid's got a chin lock locked in. Um, Benoit with a slam, but misses a top rope headbutt. Saturn attacks both men. We get a powerbomb from Sid, but Benoit puts a cross face on Rick Steiner. The, bu- the referee bumps during all of this, and Charles Robinson comes out and counts a three rather than the tap out because apparently he's a stooge for Sid. So there's another little piece of the storyline we didn't have. Sid power bombs Benoit as they um, as another overdub of the sound stops the commentary. I've got here a similar distaste to Kyle. I've just got fuck this episode. Dean and Shane come out <laughs> and the heels bail. What a waste of my time. <laughs> oh god, yes, that's exactly how I was feeling at the end of this. My only takeaway was. God, you know what? I miss Chris Benoit, like wrestling. I enjoyed Chris Benoit. That was my only take from this. Fair. It's about the most you're going to get out of this. This was a time when people were really hoping to get some upward momentum. Like, he's the United States champion at this point. Rick Steiner's a TV champion. and So, you you know, in terms of star power, they've got, like, three of the main titles on this show but not a lot of the actual big, huge stars on the, you know, in terms of like, there's no Sting, there's no Luger, no Hogan, no Goldberg and people like that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I didn't mind this match, but 
it just felt really tired after a whole night of tag team wrestling. Um, it was good to see Sid had improved his camel clutch just a little bit. Um, two points of note in this match for me were Steiner catching Benoit's leapfrog and turning it into a suplex. I thought that was neat. And I found it really hilarious where Sid was very, very cautiously sneaking around ringside when the ref was distracted. How on earth does a guy the size of Sid sneak anywhere? <laughs> oh, man. But overall, the baby faces didn't get anywhere near enough shine from this. Like during the match, like the, the way they were able to wrestle in the match and then the post-match shenanigans as well, just bleh. If any episode of a wrestling show ever deserved to be preempted for the Westminster Dog Show, it was this. It was a dog show, all right, yeah. <laughs> any final thoughts on the main event, Kyle? I, I no. <laughs> oh my god! I'll, I, instead of just bullshitting, I'll just be honest. <laughs> Perfectly fine. I wish I had none. <laughs> That's both shows watched. So I guess it's time for us to go and pick ourselves a winner. Um, strap yourselves in. This could be a tough decision. <laughs> so. To be fair, we're probably gonna we're gonna have to break down the numbers here. So I will say right off the bat, production value was a no contest. WWF actually managed to keep all their sound intact and not have to cut parts out because they fucked up title changes. Does anybody disagree with me on this, or are we ticking this one off right away? <laughs> Agreed. An immediate win for WWF here. The, the slick new set and things like that, and. With WCW, it's not just the audio. The visual quality was so lacking as well. Like, their production here, it looks like it hasn't changed at all since, what, 1994, 1995, when Bischoff started kicking around? There's something about just the lighting on Thunder that's not good, isn't there? Mm, yeah. And, yeah, just, like, the, the kind of angles and the, the, the setup that they use. Like, it, it looks like it could have taken place any year in WCW's kind of boom period. The big takeaway for me for the production side of it and kind of set me up for what I was about to watch was the introduction to Thunder. After all the pyro and smoke and stuff and they zoomed into Thunder, you could hardly see it because of the smoke. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good point. Um, you could say that was a good warning sign to all of us. <laughs> Do either of you think that the um, overdubbed crowd was a match for SmackDown's Rorschach's crowd on their debut? <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> yeah, the audience for SmackDown were just electric and the audience for wcw were a cassette tape yeah. <laughs> they were literally electric <laughs> 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 they were living in the matrix of berlin yeah. <laughs> oh my god um well i guess the one we probably can discuss a little bit is what about the storylines um i i personally loved the whole main event storyline rock triple h Shawn michaels 
I thought the advancement of Jericho into Shamrock and the um, the stuff with Jeff Jarrett was good as well. And the tag team title stuff in WWF was really good. Um, WCW kind of fucked up some storylines, mainly the tag team title thing, and had a couple that I wasn't interested in. So for me, it was another easy choice. What are your thoughts on how the storylines advanced on both shows, guys? Uh, well, obviously the WWF, um, the WWF storylines progressed in a much easier and impactful way. I felt just because of the way that it was edited and how clear it was to the audience and the the watchers' point of view. Whereas <laughs> WCW, I still don't know what happened in that episode. I'm still unclear of what I watched. Hearing you recap them like that, Lee, it made me realise they had a little more in common in terms of storyline points and have they had a few self-contained plots running through. With WWF, you had Jericho asking people about and the whole main event scene as well as Mankind and Shane McMahon as kind of satellite figures in that. WCW, you had like the, the tag team scene like Harlem Heat and the Rednecks and all the people revolving around them. And then you had Sid and Rick Steiner taking issue with the, the shorter people in wrestling. And that was a running theme. I'll give you three guesses as to which one of those out of Triple H and The Rock or Sid Vicious having the problem with short people was the better storyline to feature on a show. <laughs> Well, um, characters I think you probably already described earlier, Duncan, and I agreed with everything you said, having the um, the titles on the show but not the main event guys, that sealed it for me. Um, assuming that was your thought as well. Definitely, yeah. Again, it was another running theme of Thunder. Like, Benoit and all his revolution guys were the headline act of Thunder for quite a while really like they're, they're not quite main eventers but the crowd really cares about them and so like yeah we'll, we'll stick them out there if Goldberg can't be asked to show up and things like that WWF clearly it's the, the premiere of a brand new show they're going in all guns blazing WCW weren't even trying to do anything to attract an audience here no definitely not what about you Kyle Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> that leads us to match quality, and I fucking hated all the matches on Thunder, and I loved a couple on SmackDown. <laughs> Agreed. Or <laughs> <laughs> yes. Tavis say I. <laughs> I. I. <laughs> <laughs> Smackdown's main event was the best bit of wrestling across both shows. The tag title match was pretty good as well. I didn't mind Rogue Dog and Jericho. Thunder only really had the six-man match, but was anything kind of semi-worthwhile. Well, since there's three of us on the show and we've got a clean sweep, this actually makes it the biggest landslide victory we've ever had on an episode of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Tony Schiavone sat at home somewhere. It's the greatest night in the history of our sport. (laughs) 4.2 4.2 to 2.0 seems generous after having watched both these shows the 2.0 like the segment of that audience that stuck with wcw 
fair play to you guys. Like, that's a loyal audience right there. <laughs> they must just not be able to get the local UPN affiliate or something like that. I feel sorry for these poor people. <laughs> mm. So there you have it. The um <laughs> the biggest victory in history. The first ever three-man episode of the podcast. It's been highly enjoyable. Um, been really good to have you both on. Um, definitely enjoyed doing this. Um, on the, I guess, looking into the future, the SmackDown and Thunder um, little storyline or timeline we're about to embark on, Duncan, I'm very, very excited for this. Did this leave you wanting more or regretting the decision? It, it definitely gave me a solid impression as to the way things are going to go here. But yes, this has certainly been interesting. Um, looking into the things that I just narrowly missed out on. And uh, <laughs> it's going to be like a, a cornucopia of barely television worthy characters from WCW. And I'm pretty sure WWF has some zany shit to look forward to as well absolutely absolutely and kyle did you enjoy um doing that coming on the show is this um been something that was wcw enough to turn you off doing this or did you have a good time regardless <laughs> um no i i've had a, a really good time coming on the podcast it's always great um talking to yourselves um i unless it's for a podcast i will not be watching wcw <laughs> that's a dead set um <laughs> I will continue to look back at all the old WWF stuff. Perfect. And when you guys get to, um, there's a little episode of SmackDown um, that I want you guys to feature on your um, tape trader diaries. And we'll have to all hook up for that again. I think it's in October, actually. So a few months from this, uh, but one that I vividly remember once again, actually it had Triple H in the main event. One of my favorite episodes. We'll keep our ears peeled for that one, Lee. Um, what have you guys got coming up on the show next? Uh, well, we skipped out on modern WrestleMania this year because fuck WWE at the minute. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I think we're going to skip right ahead to WrestleMania 7. That's the next thing chronologically oh on our God. tape trader diaries. It should have been yeah. the first thing. I just forgot all about it. <laughs> So that's actually a tape that Kyle lent me. And um, so we're going to go into that together. My favorite WrestleMania and the first one I ever watched live. Wow. I think yeah, it must be my second WrestleMania. I um, I'd watched the previous ones, but only ever on VHS. This one I actually watched on Sky. So, yeah, loved it. Um, still to this day, my favorite ever WrestleMania. Oh, nice. So I'm very much looking forward to hearing how you guys dissect that. The main event shit, but everything leading up to it's brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) I won't spoil it, though. But have you guys watched it yet? No, I'm going to try and find some time this afternoon, I think, to get started. Oh, very nice. I can't wait to hear that. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, in the meantime, you can listen to us kick off our Tape Trader Diary series with Breakdown 1998. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. That was actually another pay-per-view I really enjoyed at the time as well, Breakdown. Um, I loved that little three-month segment between Taker, Kane, and Austin. So, And you guys did it really good justice with the episode. If you haven't listened to it yet, definitely go and check that out because it was really good. 
Yeah, go on, head on over to us at TMW Podcast on Twitter, at TMW underscore podcast on Instagram. We're on Apple Podcasts like Lee and Spotify and Stitcher Radio. You can head on over to our SoundCloud page where I've got a playlist of all of our guest appearances on Lee's show. Um, our Hell in a Cell and Bound for Glory episode is creeping along to 200 plays as well from the looks of it. Yeah, it's still pretty good. Um, those episodes we've been doing together have been getting some good numbers lately, actually. So go and check that out. You can binge them all on our SoundCloud page. Perfect. Anything you want to plug while we're still here, Kyle? Uh, no, du- Duncan's the master of the plug. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, what's his name? Uh, T.L. Hopper. <laughs> <laughs> The master of the plug is a hell of a downgrade from the Doctor Amongst Men, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, brilliant. Well, that'll do it then. Thank you everybody for listening as always. You can catch us on Twitter, SoundCloud, iTunes, all the good stuff. Um, feel free to leave me a review or pass on any comments about the episode. And I'll be back with some more 1996 and some more um very i think the third episode of raw i'm up to with richie coming up very soon as well so stay tuned for all of that and we'll see you all again soon cheers guys see you later and is here the game is over no more pretend